We're so glad that y'all have joined us online for worship today, and we're positive that God has something specifically to speak just to you. We want you to know that you are always welcome here at First Baptist Azel, and that you can connect with us by going online to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. Now let's hop back into the sermon and hear what God has for us today. First John chapter 3 verse 1. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? What a fantastic book First John is. First uh, John chapter 3 verse 1. How great is the love of the Father, or the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the promise and the declaration of this verse and the beauty of the entire book. I pray you'd help us to understand it better today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, How to Love Like Christ. How to Love Like Christ. I want to begin with a loaded question this morning. I am a preacher. That's what we do. And ask you if God came to you today, right now, and told you that you had 10 minutes to live, what would you do with that 10 minutes? I told you it's a loaded question. What would you do if you found out you only had 10 minutes to live? Well, that has actually happened many times in our history when people found out sometimes they only have years to live, months to live, weeks to live, or minutes to live. What do they do with the time that they have left? I read this article recently. On the 11th of September of 2001, Al-Qaeda terrorists hijacked four passenger planes, two of the planes, American Airlines Flight 11 and American Airlines Flight 175 were crashed into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center. A third plane, American Airlines Flight 77, was crashed into the Pentagon. And a fourth, despite initially being steered towards Washington, D.C., crashed into a field after passengers tried to overcome the terrorists. Over a thousand phone calls were made within 10 minutes of the first plane hitting the building, with thousands more being made throughout the day. And thanks to the radios of first responders and mobile phones, some of the people who lost their lives that day were able to send one last message to the world outside. C.C. Lyles, a mother of four, was one of the flight attendants working on board Flight United 93. When the plane was hijacked on September 11th, she dialed home twice on a mobile phone to tell her husband what had happened. Tragically, her husband, a police officer, was sleeping after a night shift and never heard the phone ring. Cece, the rest of the crew and the passengers aboard the plane, decided to try and overpower the hijackers in a bid to stop them from crashing the plane into another building. During the attempt, the plane crashed into a... um, Uh, a field in Pennsylvania about uh, 65 miles southeast of Pittsburgh and 130 miles uh, northwest of Washington, D.C. Of the four aircraft hijacked on September 11th, United Airlines Flight 93 was the only one that did not reach its hijackers' intended target. This is the message that CeCe's husband found on his voicemail when he woke up. Hi, baby. You have to listen to me carefully. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. 
I want to tell you that I love you. Please tell my children that I love them very much. And I'm so sorry, baby. I don't know what to say. There's three guys. They've hijacked the plane. We're, we're turned around. And I heard that there's planes that have been flown into the World Trade Center. I hope to see your face again, baby. I love you. Goodbye. Did you notice what she talked about and what she didn't talk about in that last message? It's certainly a message worth playing over and over again and hearing over and over again. As I've told you before, in messages like this and in times like this, she didn't talk about the weather. She didn't talk about their finances. She didn't talk about plans or regrets. She just used the word love over and over and over again. These were not platitudes that she gave because she knew that this message would be conveyed across the world. She is about to die and she is pouring out her heart and her passion to her husband and to her family. Well, we see something like that in the book of 1 John. You know, I told you that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is world famous for being the love chapter but if 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, then 1 John is the love book. And it's a very small book, by the way. If there's any one book that you would like to read from the New Testament, I encourage you to read 1 John. It is powerful. In this little book, the word love is used 45 times. Over and over and over again, the writer uses that term to describe God's relationship to us and what our relationship is to be to him and to one another. The love book. I want to give you just a few examples as we talk about today how to love like Christ. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 8, <clears throat> he says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, he says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 1 John chapter 4 verse 20 says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. These are just a few of the powerful words we see in this great book talking about our relationship with God in that God first loved us and God has defined his love. He manifests his love to us and lavished his love on us through Jesus Christ. Did you notice the very first verse that I read to you this morning at the beginning? It says, how great is the love of God that he has lavished on us. I love that. It reminds me of my mom's love. 
She would lavish her love on us, and that's what God does with us. He also says in these passages that our love for God is directly connected with our love for others. And if we love others, it is evidence that we love God. And if we don't other love others, then we don't love God, despite what we may claim or say. So from that, I can tell you this morning that in God's word, love is the theme. It's not just a hymn. <laughs> it's not just a verse. It is a description of the word of God, of the Bible as a whole. Love is the theme. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, not John 3, 16, but 1 John 3, 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his love, life for us. That is the definition of love. Remember, in the last two weeks, I've shared with you from 1 Corinthians 13 that it culminates in that definition of love that takes an entire chapter. And at the end of the chapter, the very last words that he says, the last sentence, he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And so two weeks ago, we looked at hope. And then last week, we looked at faith. And so today, I want us to look a little bit closer at the, at the biblical command for love. But you have to remember the last sentence. And now these three remain, Paul says, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. That's what he says. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. That is the three things in your life that will give meaning to your life and purpose to your life and make your life count for anything at all is faith, hope, and love. And if you don't have faith, hope, and love, your life will be pointless. Like millions or even billions in our world today, they live and they die with pointless lives. And as they live their life, trying to stand for something, trying to march for anything, trying to, to, to glare, declare meaning to their life as they pour it into whatever, if they don't have faith, hope, and love, they're wasting their time and you're wasting your time and I'm wasting my time. So in our life, faith, hope, and love, whatever you do, Whatever political views you have, whatever steps you take in your life and in this nation, in your business or at your school, in your education, whatever you do, if there's no faith, no hope, and no love, there is no point. An atheist can get a master's degree and a PhD. An atheist can become a multimillionaire. An atheist can have children. They have them all the time. And a family and all the things in this life, nice house, nice car, and all the things that we put, you know, interest in. But if his life has no faith, no hope, and no love, it's all just a waste of time. And so that's what the Bible says. But he then says the greatest of these is love. Love is the theme. Paul says, and I told you last week, remember I shared with you that passage about the disciples and they went to heal this kid uh, that, that, had, uh, that was demon-possessed, and they couldn't do it. So the parent came to Jesus and said, you know, hey, my, my, my son has, has been suffering from this. He falls into the fire, falls into the water, and I'm, I'm concerned for him. And I took him to your disciples. They couldn't do it. They couldn't heal him. Could, can you heal him? And so I told you the disciples had tried to heal him, but they didn't have any faith. And so Jesus in, in response, gave this great lesson on faith. He says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, that is even a small amount of real faith, you can move mountains. He says, you can say to this mountain, go from here to there and it will do it. 
So he's talking about genuine faith, and genuine faith is incredibly powerful. That a lot of our faith that we claim in our world is pretend faith. We don't really have faith. We just say that we do. But real faith, it can move mountains. But in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Even great faith is a waste of time if you don't have love. On September 11th, when those Al-Qaeda members crashed those planes into the World Trade Towers and to the, into the Pentagon, they had faith. They were men of faith. They had tremendous faith. Obviously, they're willing to give their life for their faith. And they were absolutely certain that if they died in that manner, that Allah was going to bless them and send them right to paradise, a straight ticket to paradise. They believed that. Men of faith. They also had had hope. <laughs> they, they hoped it was going to happen. They hoped they were going to get there to paradise. They hoped that Allah was going to bless them. But the one thing they didn't have was love. Instead, in their hearts, it was filled with bitterness and hatred toward Americans and, frankly, anybody else. They killed Christians, Jews, atheists, and Muslims when they crashed those planes into the towers because their hearts were filled with hate, and faith and hope alone is not sufficient. Now, that's really important because we're going to see that there is a, a problem or the leaders of that day. In God's word, love is the theme. It's to be the theme of our life. It's to be the theme of our church and every church that claims to be followers of Christ. During World War II, Hitler commanded all religious groups to unite so that he could control them. Did you know that? He wanted to take all religious groups all different denominations and types of churches and lump them all together so that he could exercise control over them. I read one writer, he said, among the brethren assemblies, half complied and half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time. Those who did not faced harsh, harsh persecution. In almost every family of those who resisted, someone died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deep between the groups, and there was much tension. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed. Leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat, and for several days, each person spent time in prayer, examining his own heart in the light of Christ's command to love. And then they came together. Francis Schaeffer, who told of the incident, asked a friend who was there, what did you do then? He said, we were just one. As they confessed their hostility, as they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a, a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. Let me read that again. Love filled their hearts, and dissolved their hatred. There is nothing that will eradicate hatred except love. When love prevails, 
Among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. So last week I told you about the pretend faith and the kind of faith that the disciples initially had was of no value because it wasn't real. Today, I could say it this way. What you claim to believe is irrelevant without love. Christianity is a love religion. I've told you that many times before. Christianity is a love religion, but the more truthful way to say it would be this. Christianity is the love religion. So how can you and I express God's love this week? How can you and I express the power of love and share the love of Christ with others this week? I'm going to give you three quick things and we'll be dismissed. Number one, you and I are to love through the power of words. You and I are to love through the power of words. Words. That is, a words of affirmation. Words that affirm. Compliments. Encouragement. Edifying words. Uh, positive words. And I know I've shared this with you many times. And I'll share with you many more times. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Paul says to the church in Ephesus and you and I. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. This word unwholesome means rotten or worthless or corrupt. Some years ago, the Harry S. Truman Library in Independence, Missouri, made public 1,300 recently discovered letters that the late president wrote to his wife, Bess, over the course of a half century. President Truman wrote his wife 1,300 letters. Now, this is a rhetorical question. You don't answer. <laughs> Men, how many letters have you ever written your wife? 1,300? 1,000? 500? 50? 10? <laughs> How many love letters have you ever written your wife? He wrote 1,300 letters to his wife. Mr. Truman had a lifelong rule of writing to his wife every day that they were apart. He followed uh, this rule whenever he was away on official business or whenever Bess, his wife, left Washington to visit her beloved independence. Scholars are examining the letters for any new light they may throw on political and diplomatic history. For our part, we, uh, this writer says, we were most impressed by the simple fact that every day he was away, the President of the United States took time out from his dealing with the world's most powerful leaders to sit down and write a letter to his wife. Words are powerful. So this week, I challenge you with your letters your notes, your texts, your emails, to love through your words. Watch this brief clip. You don't have a ton of things in common with God, but there is one thing. You speak. So does he. God spoke light into existence with his words. I wonder what you could speak into existence with your words this week. I wonder what kind of love you could speak into your marriage that feels like it's in neutral. 
What kind of courage you could speak into the heart of a child who's hurting? I wonder what kind of peace you could speak into your broken friendship. What kind of hope you could speak into your own weary soul. I want you to know that the most powerful words you're going to speak this week is probably not going to be on a stage or a conference call or closing the deal with a client that you want. The most powerful words you're going to speak is probably just with one or two people listening, maybe zero. It's totally possible that the most powerful sentence you'll say this week is a thoughtful text message that you send to a friend who's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the apology email that you finally get the courage to send the whispered prayers through tears in the middle of a dark night. Powerful words aren't just for preachers who stand behind pulpits. They're for parents who stand next to bunk beds. Speak life to their kids. For spouses who share hopes and dreams pillow talk not criticism for teenagers who stand up to bullies stand up for the uncool kids your tongue is so small but so powerful your tongue is telling a story You know, here's what I really love about that. He reminds us that all of creation came about because of the spoken word. God spoke light and life into existence. Now, we're not God, but we are created in the image of God. And your words have power. Power to destroy or power to build up. So this week, love through the power of of the word. Secondly, today I want to encourage you to love through the power of time. Love through the power of words, but also love through the power of time. Look with me if you would in Matthew chapter 9 verse 10. Matthew chapter 9 verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, you know, this passage, like all all of them in the Gospels, is wonderful. I'm not really given this, this particular incident that much thought until I saw it in the Chosen series. And we've been watching that on Friday nights. Uh, We start, I believe, with uh, episode five this week, uh, this this, uh, Friday but there's a scene, I'm not going to show it to you, but there's, I think I've already done that in the past, but there's a scene where Jesus is eating with, he calls Matthew as one of his disciples, and then he eats at Matthew's house. And Matthew is a tax collector. That is, as the Pharisees would say, he's a scumbag. He's the bottom of the barrel. They hate him. They hate all tax collectors. They consider them, them traitors. And so Matthew is having this this get-together at his house. He's having dinner at his house. Jesus is there, and Matthew has invited other guests or people have come to sit with them, and Jesus is there. His disciples are there, but there it says there are two other groups there, many tax collectors and sinners. 
So these are, these are low-end people just like the tax collectors. So if you're a tax collector in first century Israel, you don't have a lot of friends. If you do have friends, there are other scumbag tax collectors just like you. And so these are the guys that Matthew knows. And uh, not only tax collectors, but then it says sinners. Now, that's a, a broad range of people, but they are the dredge of society as well. The Pharisees find out these are the religious leaders of the day. And so they come to Jesus and said, uh, actually said to, to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, you know the obvious answer to that. In fact, Jesus gave them that famous answer. Uh, the sick, uh, 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 the, or the doctor has come to see the sick, not the well. It's sick people who need a doctor. And in other words, sinners are the ones who need him the most. Of course, the Pharisees didn't realize this in their pride, but they were as big a sinners as anybody. At least the tax collectors, like Matthew, they began to realize it. The sinners realized that they were a sinner. And here's the thing about this. For the religious leaders that confronted him, what they're really saying to Jesus is, why are you wasting time with these people? Why are you wasting time with them? You see, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they had tremendous faith. They really did. They had great hope. But they didn't love people. And as 1 John tells us, if you don't love people, you don't love God. They thought they could love God and hate people, but you can't do it. And if we ever think that we can love God and hate people, we can't do it either. Doesn't mean we have to agree with people, but we do have to love them because Christianity is the love religion. And so he says we are to love. And so the Pharisees said, why are you wasting your time? Because Time implies that you care about them, that you love them. Author Gary Chapman says it is not enough to be in the same room with someone. You need to focus your attention on them. I come home from a long day at work, like most of you parents and adults. And I, I like to sit down in, in recliner. I've got my, my recliner. I don't, you've got your chair. I've got my chair. It's my chair. I sit down in my chair and I try to turn on the TV and just kind of relax and eat dinner and watch TV. Now, my kids are all on their computers in, in various rooms in the house. And so they're there. I'm there. We're close together, but we're not really spending any time together. At some point, I have to turn off the TV and I have to go check on my kids, see how they're doing. And at some point, as often as we can, we try to find things that we can do where they're forced to turn off their computer so that they and I are not just in the same room, but we're actually communicating with one another. Now, it's odd. I know with my kids, they're just like any other kids. They want to know how quickly they can go home so they can get back on their computers. They don't yet, because they're young, they don't yet realize the value of time. Terry and I are getting older, uh, and I realize that because we have, with increasing uh, occasion, begun to post more and more pictures on social, uh, on social media of our children when they were little bitty. 
Gabrielle was so cute. She had those little pigtails, and we put her in little dresses, you know, when she was that tall. Just happy-go-lucky. I mean, she's great now, but oh, just great. And the boys were just so little, you know, and they're just so cute. And so we post more and more pictures. And parents, you know this, and I know this, but I have to say it, it is shocking how quickly our children grow up and they're gone. I know in the moment we think, oh, there's lots of time. I'll spend time with them next week. I'll take them to the zoo next week. Before you know it, they're 18 or 20. They don't care anything about zoos. Or I will take them to do this or we'll, we'll do that. We'll spend time together. But when you miss that moment, you can do more later on. But that moment is gone forever. Love is a matter of time. Now, you can say you love your, your family. You can say you love those around you. You can say you love your church family, but you never spend any time with any of those people. You probably don't really love them. Love is a matter of time. So love through the power of words, but we also are to love through the power of time. Third and last, love, we love through the power of gifts. We love through the power of gifts. Look with me in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. Jesus is teaching and he says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What gifts do you give others? You know, I know that when we talk about gifts, we think of physical things or sometimes financial things. My kids think of electronic things. <laughs> I was in the office this week, and I confess this to you. We have uh, there in our copy room, we have mailboxes for all of the staff and the ministry leaders. And so as the mail comes in every day, Wendy takes the mail and she puts it in our box. And our boxes are quite big. You could get several reams of paper in those boxes. And because they're that large, uh, if I get junk mail, which I often get, credit card offers or ministry advertisements, or uh, and then also on top of all of that, I get financial reports and those kinds of things each week. And a lot of those things, like the financial reports, I don't want to throw away, but I don't want to junk up my office with it, so I just leave it there in the box. Over the years, this stacked up higher and higher and higher. And so this week, I don't know why, I decided to clean out my box. So I was going to take it all out of there. There was a stack this high. I was going to take it all out of there and just pop it right in the trash. And I thought, oh, there might be something in here that I need. So I start going through all the financial reports and the credit card offers and throwing everything in the trash one at a time. It took me quite a while. But as I, as I got down through the stack, toward the bottom of the stack, I found a Christmas card that somebody had given me in 2017. It's one of the members of the church, one of the couples, a very sweet couple. And uh, so I noticed uh, it was still sealed. So they probably had put it in my box. And then I got some report or mail on top of that. And I never even saw it. So I, this was just a couple of days ago. So I opened up the, the, the thing. I thought, well, you know, it's a Christmas card, but I'll, I'll read it. I opened it up and immediately fell out a $100 bill. <laughs> I know I shouldn't, but $100 just made my day. <laughs> I 
I was giddy when I saw that $100 bill. I almost threw that $100 bill in the trash. And I thought, you know how kind it was. So I went to the couple and I said, thank you for the $100. And they didn't know what I was talking about. So I told them the whole story. I confessed. It took me three years to, to read their Christmas card. I did read the card, by the way. But uh, um, gifts, unexpected gifts sometimes, were the best gifts that we can receive aren't $100 bills. They're much more powerful than that. What kind of gifts do you give others? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we see the greatest of all gifts. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. Some years ago, Dr. Carl Menninger noted, he was a noted doctor and psychologist, was seeking the cause of many of his patients' ills. True story, one day he called in his clinical staff and proceeded to unfold a plan for developing uh, in his clinic an atmosphere of creative love. He wanted to have an experiment. So he called all of his staff together, the doctors and the nurses and all the staff together, and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love. All patients were to be given large quantities of love. No unloving attitudes were to be displayed in the presence of the patients. And all nurses and doctors were to go about their work in and out of the various rooms with a loving attitude. At the end of six months, the time spent by patients in the institution was cut in half. Love is powerful. It's powerful. Are you exhibiting that power in your life this week? If God can create the universe through the power of love, you and I can encourage people, draw people to God, help people that are wounded with the power of love. Love is powerful. Powerful through our words. Powerful through our time. Powerful through our gifts. So go out this week and share the love of Jesus Christ with someone. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge that you are powerful and your power and your love are intertwined, that your motivation for creating the universe, that power that created the universe was through your heart of love, that your redemption through Christ And the power to raise him from the dead came through love. For God so loved the world, your word says, that you gave your one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. These are words of power. So Father, I pray that you would help us this week to love like Christ loves. Through our words, our time, and our gifts. Whatever that may look like or whatever that may be, we have the power to change lives this week. We acknowledge that this world is dark and evil, filled with hate, and I pray that you would help us to inject love into this dark world this week. We believe that your love, your presence, Your power is greater than the darkness and the hate that is in this world. As your change agents, as your ambassadors, help us to go out 
and make a difference in what we say, the time that we spend, and what we give. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? It may be right where you are. Maybe somebody came to your mind. It may be a family member or a spouse. Maybe a coworker or a classmate at school. Maybe a, another church member. Somebody that you know that's struggling right now. They're hurting. They're wounded. And you combine their wounds with a loving word. Maybe a text message or an email. It doesn't have to be long. Just saying, I was thinking about you. I'm concerned for you. I want you to know I care about you. And I'm here if you need time. I want to challenge you right now to do that. To actually apply God's word that you hear this morning to your life to change the hearts of others. It may be somebody you can't stand. It may be the most liberal, hate-filled person you know. I want you to know the love of God can transform them. Paul was the most hateful man you'd ever meet, but the love of Christ transformed him. And if he did it with Saul and made him the apostle Paul, if he did it with you and with me, he can do it with those others that are filled with hate right now. The power of love. Maybe you want to come and kneel and pray for somebody you're thinking of right now. Lift them up to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I'm starting right here, right now by asking, would your love transform them? They need transformation. They need help. They're hurting. They're angry. They're bitter. or They're wounded. Will you help them? And then pray, God, would you put in me a loving heart for this person? That I might, through my words, my deeds, and my gifts, encourage them toward love. Could be God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and you want to come forward this morning and say, Pastor, I'd like to join. We had two come forward this morning, one for as a candidate for baptism. And so we want you to know you're welcome here at First Baptist Church. Just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join the church. Or maybe you would like to surrender to the love of Jesus Christ. We love because he loved us first. And you want to come down and say, I want to begin by surrendering. Right now, I give my life to Jesus. And I want you to know that. Just tell me that and I'll pray with you. If God is calling you to make a public decision this morning or to pray and commit right where you are, this invitation is for you. Would you stand? No one's looking around. Everyone's praying. And as you stand and as you pray right now, you come. Well, thanks for joining us today online for our worship service. We hope that you are ministered and encouraged to while you're with us. And we just want to remind you that you can connect with us online by going to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. We hope to see you again next week.